Hey all, welcome to the first of the Ground Game Reading Series. I'm your host, Bushido Squirrel, and joining me today is Chris Roth. So, the reading series is something we've been thinking about for a while, because we feel that media criticism is something that is really, really important as we enter into this new, like, hyper-normalized dystopia. So what this is going to be is us essentially picking, once every two weeks, a piece of media, an artifact, an article, a book, something that we just kind of want to tear into and explore in ways that don't generally get looked at through a lens of critical analysis and progressive organizing. So for this first one, we're going to be looking at the New York Times and specifically their piece on Donald Trump's supporters in the Southwest. Ooh, fun. If you've got anything that you think that we should look at, any guests that you think we should have on, please feel free to email us at podcast at groundgamela.org. One of my 2020 resolutions is to actually like more regularly check that email. So if you have been emailing us and you haven't heard from us, uh, we fired our intern that we never hired, uh, but we will be rectifying that. But we're really excited to get this new piece going on. We hope to pull in more people from Ground Game and other activist orgs in L.A. because we really want to expand the scope of what we're doing and how we're looking at stuff. Our media landscape determines a lot of the ways in which we interact and understand and analyze the world. And if we're not critically entering into that, every single time we open up our laptops, we're not really doing our jobs. So without further ado, let's rip into the New York Times article, Nothing Less Than a Civil War. These white voters on the far right see doom without Trump. Is this going to be something along the lines of all of those, like, let's interview a Nazi and see how their life actually looks and do, like, a puff piece on them things that the New York Times has been doing lately? Yeah, I mean, so what I, the way I kind of like to look at this, or the way I'll contextualize it, is that the New York Times is attempting to do objectivity, that neither the right nor the left is right, that instead of having <laughs> political visions, one of which is correct and one of, one of which is, is incorrect, we have political visions that are just two separate things, like one is black and one is white, one is left and one is right. And there isn't any sort of like normative or subjective judgment to be brought to it. If a Trump supporter says, hey, we should ban all the Muslims, and a progressive activist says, no, we should welcome all the Muslims, well, you can't decide as a journalist if one of those is right and one of those is wrong. You just have to talk to both sides and let them both speak. This has gotten us into trouble when it comes to the climate crisis because it's allowed companies like Exxon and BP and other fossil fuel industry companies to fund an opposition that just sort of muddies the water and says, oh, well, they say climate change is happening, but we say it's not. And even though there's a body, a massive body of scientific evidence saying that anthropogenic climate change is happening, is real, and is dangerous, until very recently, that consensus was not really talked about. It was more, oh, a lot of scientists say this, but this lobbyist over here says that. Who knows which one is right? And this has been going on long enough that I remember reading an article by Bill McKibben in The Nation in 1996, where he said this vision of objectivity is going to doom us in the climate sphere. Now we're seeing that leaking into the political sphere, where we see a right-wing ideology that is largely in control of the country that is dangerous, not just to people outside of America, but to many people within America and people who have largely been considered Americans as we kind of like flirt more with a fascist takeover. So that's the way I want you to look at this is when you're interviewing someone who's a Trump supporter or when you're talking to someone who's a Trump supporter or you're reading a piece about someone who's a Trump supporter who is saying false and ridiculous things, should the journalist be calling them out on that or should the journalist just be printing what they're saying, saying, oh, wow, look at what these people think? Yeah, it, it is absolutely absurd that we have had our media uh, fall into this trap, as it were, to just assume that both sides ha deserve an equal footing when it comes to these kinds of positions and, and taking this 
I, I guess they're trying to have like it's a moral high road, but at the same time, it's just like okay, it's it's a complete lack of any conviction. Well, it's this idea that politics isn't something that is part of everyday life; that it's somehow uh, a step or two removed. Where politics <laughs> is just a view you have on stuff, and people can't have correct or incorrect that, views; that's they can just, just have differing views. That's so fundamentally out of touch with, it, especially with the world that we live in these days. Where, I mean, I, I gotta, I gotta, you know, say for one thing that. Trump certainly did for a number of us, myself included, was, you know, and I, I attribute most of this to Bernie, but, but Trump really solidified the importance of it of being like, whoa, the people who have been in charge and who have been telling us that, you know, espousing that kind of a view of politics is just, you know, an outlook and it's not, it's neither right nor wrong, it's just different. There are, uh, you know, good-hearted, clear-minded people on both sides of the argument, like, Bernie woke me up to the realization that that's not true. And Trump really solidified it of being like the epitome of, oh, my God, there are some extremely wrong people out there who are just vicious and vile and are wrong in every possible way. And they need to be stopped at all costs. So, well, well, Trump certainly did something to these people as well. So let's dig yeah. into this article <laughs> and let's get rolling with the first paragraph. And this is all reporting from Golden Valley, Arizona, which is kind of out in the northern part of Arizona, is very rural uh, and is very synonymous with kind of like the Second Amendment and militia movements and sort of like prepper culture, as it were. But anyway, so starting off, quote, Great American Pizza and Subs, on a highway about 100 miles southeast of Las Vegas, was busier and Trumpier than usual. On any given day, it serves MAGA Subs and Liberty Bell Lasagna. What? The Second Amendment Pizza comes loaded no. with pepperoni and sausage. Notice, no. loaded there. The dining room is covered in regalia, praising President Trump. But this October morning was Trump Stock, a small festival celebrating the president. The speakers included local Republican Congressman Paul Gosar, Oh, he's awful. Yeah, and lesser-known conservative personalities. There was a fringe 2020 Senate candidate in Arizona who ran a website that published sexually explicit photos of women without their consent, a pro-Trump rapper whose lyrics include a racist slur aimed at President Obama, and a, a, and a North Carolina activist who once said of Muslims, I'll kill every one of them before they get to me. All were welcome, except liberals. So already we're seeing this setup as just like, oh, here's a business that's very pro-Trump. And here's the things that they're doing without any, like, understanding or statement from the journalist that, like, these are dangerous things that are being said. More, this yeah. is just what they're saying. Maybe they're going to do it. Maybe they won't. But he kind of refused to, refuses to engage with the outright right supremacy and racism that's going on here or to call it out. So uh, to continue on in the article, quote, they label us white nationalists or white supremacists, volunteered Guy Taiho Decker, who drove from California to, to attend the event, a right-wing protester. He had previously been arrested on charges of making terrorist threats. So again, an actual <laughs> terrorist is getting free press the in the New York Times where they're giving you his name, telling you where he's from, and allowing you as somebody who might be interested in getting more involved with right-wing ideological fights to go find him online. Quote, there's no such thing as a white supremacist, just like there's no such thing as a unicorn, Mr. Decker said. What? We're patriots. Again, no pushback from the New York Times. And this is going to be my big beef with the journalist here, uh, uh, Astrid, uh, sorry, Astrid Herndon. And he seems like he's like a good journalist. I don't want to pretend that he's not. But at the same time, this very 
even-handed tone belies the fact that the people that he's talking to are spouting outright lies. Like, yeah. yes, white supremacists exist. The Ku Klux Klan exists. Yes. The John Bircher Society was started in Arizona. It exists. There is a literal strain of people who are racist and dangerous and have acted violently. And simply allowing someone to say, without challenge, oh, they say we exist, or they say this bad thing exists, but really they're just lying, without any pushback, is just giving the Nazi and the fascist the ability to manipulate the That's press. That's absolutely insane. So, continuing on. As Mr. Trump's bid for re-election shifts into higher gears, his campaign hopes to recapture voters who drifted away from the party in 2018 and 2019. Independents who embrace moderate Democratic candidates, suburban women tired of Mr. Trump's personal conduct, and working-class voters who have benefited from his economic policies. And that's an interesting one because that's also Bernie's base. Like that, that's, where the, that's where those voters have gone. Next paragraph, quote, but if any group remains singularly loyal to Mr. Trump, it is a small but impassioned number of white voters on the far right, often in rural communities like Golden Valley, who extol him as a cultural champion, reclaiming the country from undeserving outsiders. Now, this is a really interesting one, right? Because the journalist does not explore what that ideological stance actually means, why it may be that it's mainly white voters, what he means by a cultural champion, how dangerous those statements are. It's just saying, oh, that's why they like him. You know, it, it, it's almost like, oh, well, some people like Sriracha because it makes their lips all tingly and some people don't. <laughs> yeah. It's not just an aesthetic choice. No. Like their political stances come with actual real world consequences. Absolutely. And again, we're not seeing any pushback. We're just seeing this very even handed reporting that really doesn't get us anywhere in getting a better understanding of what the world looks like if they're able to sweep into power. Quote, these voters don't passively tolerate Mr. Trump's build a wall message or his ban on travel from predominantly Muslim countries. They're what motivates them. They see themselves in his fear-based identity politics bolstered by conspiratorial rhetoric about caravans of immigrants and democratic coups. Again, saying they're motivated by that stuff without pointing out that everything that Trump is saying there is disproven and wrong and a lie yeah. is again just saying, oh, it's okay to say we should build a wall that's going to devastate ecosystems and separate children. Like, it's okay to just feel that's the right thing. That's just a separate political stance. It's not something that has actual implications. Now, right before here is one of my least favorite photographs in this entire piece. It's a photo of Mr. Decker from earlier, and he's dressed out in sort of faux tactical gear. He's got some lanyards because, you know, whenever you go to a political convention, you you've got to have lanyards. <laughs> He's wearing a, a USA hat sold by the Trump campaign, carrying a large, like, monopod with several cameras on it. He's also wearing a head-based camera uh, as well as, like, a high-vis vest. This is a guy who's clearly going out there to, like, be paid attention to and wants people to look at him and listen to what he has to say. And the New York Times plays directly into that game and also gives him, like, a very nice portrait where he just, like, looks like a normal person chilling in a restaurant instead of somebody who is literally a convicted terrorist. Yep, that's so, insane. Moving on down the article, quote, the president draws support from a broader political and ideological cross-section of Republicans than the Trump stock crowd reflected, and he attracts some independents and Democrats as well. The festival itself was relatively small, drawing about 100 people, though significant enough to attract the likes of Mr. Gosar. Now, this is a really, really interesting one because he doesn't really provide any evidence for this, like, some Democrats like Trump. Like, who would those Democrats be? Why would they be attracted to Trump? Yeah as well as saying that like this is a small outlier kind of belies the fact that these people though small regionally constitute a large percentage of people across the country and a, fi a fairly motivated base like let's not forget that like a pro trump qanon conspiracy group just got busted for planning a cross state kidnapping these aren't groups that just like oh, simply yeah, that get just together happened. to 
Yeah, and they don't just Ugh. simply get together to like talk about like, hey, let's register voters or like, let's go knock some doors. Like, these are people who are literally talking about, as we'll get into, staging a civil war in order to protect their president. Moving on, quote, but events like it, as well as speaking engagements featuring far-right supporters of the president, have become part of the political landscape during the Trump era. Islamophobic taunts can be heard at his rallies. Hate speech and conspiracy theories are staples of some far-right websites. If Trump stock was modest in size, it stood out as a sign of extremist public support for a sitting president. Now, there's sort of a tacit condemnation of what's being said here, but not an explicit one. Like, is Islamophobic rhetoric bad? Is this kind of terroristic rhetoric bad? It's just sort of seen as an outlier. Like, it's out on the fringe. Only a few people do it. But there's no explicit statement of, like, we should not be allowing this in our political discourse, or it has a damaging effect on our political discourse. It's just, oh, some people engage in this. Again, leaving the reader who presumably is, like, a Manhattan sort of, like, liberal who's making more money than any of these people make to sort of judge for themselves. Like, oh, I don't want to, you know, associate with that crowd. They're just kind of the riffraff. Yeah. And what a weird curiosity they yeah. are. <laughs> but doesn't actually bring the reader, engage the reader to critically, to critically analyze, like, where do they come from? How is it that capitalism creates these people and uses them to further its mission? Why is it that people who are in the working class but on the far right actually have a lot that they're doing to help billionaires stay in power? They're not discussing that or how the, the seeds of white supremacy exist in the Democratic Party as much as in the Republican Party, but in the Republican Party it's more explicit. And these are the kinds of critical analysis that we would really need in an article like this. Otherwise, Mr. Decker just becomes another character in a play yeah. rather than an actual freaking terrorist who is now quoted in the New York Times. Yeah, it's they the the fact that this is a is becoming such a routine thing to be coming out of the New York Times. Like we've we've seen these interviews repeatedly with like uh, you know they grew up in a in a uh, in a working class family and now uh, now they're members of the literally the KKK in the middle of Ohio. Like get to know yep. a Nazi that lives next door. It's like what the fuck do they think they're actually doing? Like if how you have a Nazi living next door, you should make it so that there's no Nazi living next yeah. door to you, not just accept the fact that, oh, that's wacky Jim who no. wants to do the genocide. That's, that's, this is, yeah, this is, there are views that are antithetical towards society and Nazism is 100% one of those views. Like there should not be any room for people like that to be existing in the public space without being constantly yelled at and harangued and made to feel as unwelcome and as uncomfortable as humanly possible because they need to be uh, shown that they're wrong. And actually, it's good that you bring up that point because we're getting into the part of the article where we actually talk about what it means politically and electorally that these people are active. So, quote, Fun. And these supporters have electoral muscle in key areas. Mr. Trump outperformed Mitt Romney, the 2012 Republican nominee, in rural parts of Arizona like Mojave County, where Golden Valley is located. Mr. Trump won 58,282 votes in the county, compared to 47,901 yes. for Mr. Romney, though Mr. Romney carried the state by a much bigger vote margin. Huh. Arizona will be a key battleground state in 2020. Democrats already flipped a Senate seat and a Tucson-based congressional district from red to blue in 2018. For Mr. Trump, big turnout from white voters in areas like Mojave County and in rural parts of other battlegrounds like Florida, Michigan, Minnesota, and Georgia could be a lifeline in a tight election. Quote, we call this the Red Wall of Arizona, oh, said Lauren no. Schiff, a psychiatrist <laughs> and Republican campaign official in Mojave County who organizes in support of Mr. Trump's campaign. Quote, winning the state starts here with us, 
end quote. So there's a lot to unpack here. Like the idea that Mojave County, which is a very sparsely populated part of Arizona, which is largely federal land, like yeah. something like 80% of the actual like land in Arizona is owned by the federal government. It's BLM and Forest Service land. Yeah. Nobody actually lives on it. And a lot of it's just used for extractive industry. <laughs> to be fair, that's like also all of the West. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it is. It's, it's, there's nothing unique to Arizona about that. But Arizona, like Nevada, has a couple of population centers that are very large and very economically robust, and then a lot of underserved areas that have sort of been dwindling or getting turned into retirement places for people with like a lot of money or people who want to move into a more like off the grid ish area. Like Phoenix, Arizona is the fifth largest city in America right now, the fastest growing city in America. That's where the actual political fight for Arizona is going to be. Sending a New York Times reporter out to Mojave County to make it seem like Mojave County is going to have any effect on the state of Arizona's electoral votes in 2020 <laughs> is absolutely <laughs> malpractice. Yeah. Like, think about it this way. The city of, of Phoenix has 2.5 million people. The Maricopa County has 4 million people in it almost, like all of Metro Maricopa County, where the vast majority of the state's population is. Mojave County can muster 60,000 votes at best. Like, just basic math tells you that it doesn't really matter. Again, County breakdowns don't win you electoral votes. They don't win you Senate seats. They don't win you congressional districts. All of those districts overlap and overrun county lines. But again, making it seem like Mojave County has anything to say is giving them a heck of a lot more power than they actually have. And also engendering in the mind of like the reader that, oh, these people have an actual political stance that outside of being a fringe is more mainstream. Like they, yes, they voted for Donald Trump, but they also voted for Mitt Romney. And kind of trying to like draw a parallel between those two candidates in those two different races is a little bit dangerous because yeah. <laughs> just the way they've approached and the way like that they ran their their political campaign yeah. are night and day as well as the policies that they each put forward. What it doesn't really explore is why we don't have Democrats out in that area, right? It doesn't give you a reason why these people are kind of falling to the right or why it is that the Democrats aren't really out there contesting those elections. And I would say... There is a good argument to be made that rural organizing in places like Arizona needs to step up. They're like getting people out there canvassing and talking to people and knocking on doors matters a lot because a lot of the populations in these counties like Mojave are indigenous, are non-English speaking, and are not people who identify as like white voters, but they don't get reached by the New York Times. Like the New York Times didn't go out to the reservation, didn't go out to like the camps of people who don't speak English primarily to talk to them about why they don't vote, why they feel intimidated, uh, why they would vote Democratic. <laughs> yeah. No, no, they went and found the like no. wealthier-ish white people in those areas and talked to them about why their needs should be taken first. So one of the things that I remember hearing, I forget where it was, and I, I'm kicking myself for not having taken note of it earlier, but there was somebody who was uh, talking about their experience of doing voter outreach in uh, two communities, specifically like Spanish-speaking communities, um, where they were like, "Oh, so like, uh, have you voted in the past?" And they're like, "No." And they're like, "Well, have you? Have have you? Uh, did you realize you could vote?" They're like, "Yeah." And they're like, "Well, so why didn't you vote?" And they're like, "Nobody told me about it. Nobody told me about a candidate. Nobody, nobody has ever called me before." And the fact that like that to me just is so 
insane to hear because during election season, I get phone calls like literally every day, multiple times a day uh, in like the week and a half leading up to the election saying, hey, yep. uh, you got a minute to talk about, you know, assembly member such and such, or you got a, a minute to talk about uh, state senator such and such, like all or about these different propositions and measures yep. and everything else. It's like I get called freaking all the time because I'm a high propensity voter. So they know I'm going to vote. So they hit me up all the time. But but it's also shooting fish in a barrel because yeah. you're living in an area where the vast majority of people around here vote. The, yeah. Whereas like instead of doing outreach to new voters and activating voters who I would argue probably outweigh this kind of right wing fringe, yeah. nobody's making the investment out there from the Democratic side Which and just insane. seeding these areas to a Republican Party that is materially and politically disinterested in actually helping that area. 100%. Like if Mojave County got what it wanted, the state of Arizona would be turned into a massive uranium mine and cap and, and copper uh, mine. It would just have everything pulled out of the ground and poisoned. But they, again, don't talk about that or talk about why it is the Republicans have basically ceded control of like the city of Phoenix and have moved out to these fringe areas to try and build a more radical base. But let's keep going through this. So, quote, the grassroots gatherings play a critical role in the modern culture of political organizing, firing up ardent supporters and cementing new ones. Now, that's questionable, is the cementing <laughs> new ones, but small circles of Trump-supporting conservatives often organize online and outside the traditional Republican Party apparatus, engaged in more decentralized and explicit versions of the chest beating that happens at Mr. Trump's closely watched political rallies. Now, one reason that Trump's closely er, uh, hold political on, hold rallies on, hold are... On. I am re I just I pulled up the article to read along with you and what the fuck is this picture that comes oh, up of the of the Donald Trump statue that looks absolutely no, ghoulish that's like an it impersonator is it? That's that, an impersonator. That oh my god. Robert S. It is Ensler, a human. Oh my god, a I thought that was a Trump statue. Impersonator. It does not look human. Like oh! I'm gonna this is gonna <laughs> th this is going to be the, the, the thumbnail for anyone who's like, what the hell is this ghoulish like faux Trump that y'all are using? <laughs> this is and uncanny it, valley of awful. It this does not look human. It's really scary. All the way down to the like super fat red tie that goes too far uh, and a jacket that is like two and a half sizes too big and the pants oh my god yeah, the pants look at how many layers of folds see this is what happens when you, when you buy your trunk apparel at Kohl's you know? <laughs> but I was going to say the, the those, thing those one thing that, are insane as well one thing that they don't mention in that last paragraph is saying you know oh, yeah, Trump's sorry, closely sorry. watched political rallies is the reason they're closely watched is because the media gives him free airtime they were literally in the 2016 campaign. Literally, Bernie was in the middle of talking. He was talking about fucking policies and all of the stuff he's going to do to make this country actually function for the majority of the people who live here. And instead, CNN's like, well, we just got word that Trump is coming up to the podium. We're going to cut to an empty podium at a rally for like 20 minutes for minutes and minutes and minutes of free primetime airtime where trump's not even there it's just his name in the yep. middle of the screen what the fuck kind of media integrity is that that's just absolutely insane and just malpractice flat out yeah and it's, ah. it's one thing that we're also not exploring here is why the new york times keeps sending reporters out to talk to white trump supporters instead of sending them out to talk to politically disengaged not white people which make up the majority of this country's electoral base there were more non-voters in the 2016 presidential election than there were voters for either party I mean, yep. so I shouldn't have said majority. It's the plurality. The plurality of voters in this country are non-voters. They are people who have just completely disengaged from the political process, people who have never been reached out to in the past, people who are, you know, ripe to be 
primed and brought in to this process and have their voices elevated and fucking change things because they care about this stuff. They just don't think that the people that are being presented to them by either party give a shit or they don't know that the policies that are being presented by some people within the parties like Bernie, like they don't realize what Medicare for all actually means, what it would do for them, what the elimination of student debt, what the homes guarantee, all of these things. They do not know about them because the media doesn't give a shit about giving these things a fair shake. They don't care about actually informing the electorate or the populace at large. They are just there to make a buck. And well, this kind I of think shit it's makes also them that the, just the framing of the idea that white voters matter and non-white <laughs> voters don't matter. And this is something that the, the GOP supremacy. has done really has done a great job at like selling yeah. the New York Times and other sort of like mainstream outlets on the idea that we have this oppressed and silent majority of white Fuck people, and they're the ones that really, really, really matter. Yep. That the other people are really just a periphery and a fringe. That you know, America is no longer a majority white nation, and yet the white majority is something that we talk about all the time and if you look at it in terms of like media representation you would believe that America is overwhelmingly white when we're not and when we look at states like Arizona where the vast majority of the people in the state of Arizona do not speak English as their first language why are white people over and over and over again shown to be like the majority when they're not you know linguistically or racially but let's move on because it kind of We get some interesting ideas kind of laid out here. So, quote, in interviews, people in the crowd described a white America under threat as racial minorities typified by Mr. Obama, the country's first black president, gained political power. They described Mr. Trump as an inspirational figure who is undoing Mr. Obama's legacy and beating back the perceived threat of Muslim and Latino immigrants whom they denounced in prejudiced terms. Again, no pushback here. Like, that's the other thing is allowing racist people to say, this is why I'm racist without any pushback doesn't actually achieve your aim of trying to show that they're wrong. Like, ostensibly, that's what the New York Times should be engaging in, is that sort of ideological, or at least sort of, like, critical analysis of, like, oh, you say that Muslims are a threat to this nation, why are all of the mass shooters in this country typically white? Who is actually killing people? Who is actually launching terrorist attacks? Who is actually the threat to lives and property in this country? Instead of just allowing these people to be like, well, this is the wrong thing I believe, but I believe it, (laughs) and then granting them the validity of, oh, well, if you believe something, then it has to be treated as valid rather than like, no, you can be wrong about something no matter how much you believe it. Quote, I don't have a problem with Muslims, said Angus Smith, an Arizona resident who attended the festival, but can they take the rag off their head out of respect for our country? No pushback from the reporter on this one. No pushback. Like, can a Christian take off the cross and stop pushing like their religion in my face? Not something you're Just ever going to see printed in the New York Times. That would be deemed like hate speech. That yeah. would be deemed something that's too radical. But saying about someone who is Islamic, Have you no like, respect, oh, can sir? they stop practicing this in the public what? square? Uh, I don't want to see it because my de facto position as a Christian white person yeah. overrides everyone else's claims to any sort of validity. And just calling it a rag right off the top is just so incredibly disrespectful in and of itself. Like, uh, it's uh, the 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 comment itself is is de- is just absolutely deplorable. I mean, Hillary did get that one comment right, um, but the uh, just the nature of that the fact that everything about it has to be as denigrating as possible is just it's just disgusting. And why uh, why they just highlight these things without providing any kind of a backing or any kind of a nuance to it or any anything critical whatsoever. Like, they're just laying this all out there as though this is something that's perfectly normal, and there's no criticism, there's no 
moral judgment where you absolutely this absolutely deserves to have moral judgment laid upon it like, oh and it, it gets better so let's no, let's keep going through these no. next couple of paragraphs quote at mr trump's official rallies which I, i'm gonna throw in a quick aside here you know calling them official rallies without pointing out the fact that our president is going around holding election rallies while abusing his office as the president to like get security and access and like media attention is really disingenuous of the new york times and something they should definitely be pointing out about how mr trump has blurred the line between oh, yeah. like his actual political office and the the uh, campaigning that goes into winning that office. But I yeah, digress. And by the way, he yeah. uh, started doing those, what, like one month into the presidency? Yeah, exactly. And, like, and there was a little bit of like, oh, is this appropriate? Should he be doing it? But no real like no. critical analysis or attempts for like the mainstream press to like put a stop to that or find out how much that uh, stuff is costing us. But yeah. anyways, quote, in, uh, at Mr. Trump's official rallies, including a recent one in Florida, the president has referred to Mr. Obama by stressing his middle name, Hussein, and said Democrats were trying to stop me because I'm fighting for you. Again, you know, just saying Hussein is kind of a loaded term here because it gives the idea that Hussein is like a name that is only associated with Saddam Hussein and not associated with like a very famous person in the Islamic faith and is a name that ha is highly regarded and has like a historical context to it. Because again, they're just playing the dog whistles here without pointing out that they're dog whistles. Yeah. But continuing, the Trump stock speakers pushed even further, tying Mr. Obama's middle name to a false belief that he's a foreign born Muslim. Uh. And Democrats were portrayed as not just political opponents, but avatars of doom for Mr. Trump's predominantly white voter base and for the country. Quote, there is no difference between the Democratic Socialists and the National Socialists, says Evan Sayet, <laughs> a conservative writer who spoke at the event, what referencing the Nazi Germany. Democrats, he said, quote, are the heirs to Adolf Hitler. That's I mean, I'm just going to let that one speak no, for itself. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. So, so frankly... Referring to the current Democratic Party as Democratic Socialists is just fucking hilarious on its own, right? But the uh, the way that they're going to tie these together... So I, I will say, good job for the New York Times. They did kind of point out that it was a dog whistle uh, in that follow-up where they said that they were, were tying uh, Obama's middle name to a false belief that he's a foreign-born Muslim. It's like, you should have led with that before... Then having that that uh, that quote because it it's it gives you the context for understanding what was being said and and how before it happens rather than making sure that you come back and you, and you connect those dots. I mean, just just as a it just from a a, a slight critical uh, component on that one, it would have made it a little bit more clear of like, oh yeah, by the way, uh, here so they do these racist things. Example like. Say it that way. Don't just like let it roll and then be like, oh yeah, by the way, it's also kind of a bit of a dog whistle. Yeah. Uh, and then, but, but again, like <laughs> the Democratic Party is. I've seen, I've seen a bunch of stuff going on uh, in, in in the the Twitter discourse of late, uh, especially around AOC's comment when it came to the fact that in a more uh, nuanced uh, political economy in the, uh, this country, for instance, or in any other country, she and Joe Biden would not be in the same political party. And that is 100% yes. correct. Like, the Democratic Party in the U.S. is very arguably to the right of the fucking Tories in the U.K. Like, the conservative party in the U.K. is more progressive in a number of ways than the Democrats in the U.S. And that should tell you everything that you need to know when it comes to these kinds of analyses that right-wing shitbags like Evan Syed 
uh, have to say about how the politics in this country work. They literally have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. The Democratic Party is not the progressive party in this country. I mean, they're more progressive than the Republicans, but this is because we've lost all perspective when it comes to where our Overton window is relative to the rest of the world and the, the, the GOP is like so much more reactionary and right-wing than any of the modern like European democracies that we like to compare ourselves with. And the Democrats are so very much more conservative than any of the liberal parties uh, in any of those countries. And we've got nothing to the left. We just are starting to slowly maybe see something come out of it soon. What's also interesting here is this sort of implicit idea that the extremes in the Democratic Party are analogous to the extremes in the Republican Party. And we're going to sort of explore this a little bit more in these next couple of paragraphs. But that's something that's really dangerous is saying that like the Democratic Socialists of America are akin to these like frothing at the mouth quote-unquote patriots. So, quote, speakers at Trump's talk said their cultural fears have been exacerbated by their state's own changing nature. Arizona is on the front lines of undocumented border crossings from Mexico, and racial minorities are expected to outnumber white people in the state in the next decade. Arizona Democrats made political gains in 2018, and the National Party is riding high after it won governor's races this year in Kentucky and Louisiana. But Republicans remain bullish. They argue that a slice of their electoral base will only vote when the president is on the ballot and point to regions like northern Arizona as a place to find it. As Mr. Trump wrote in a recent tweet, the angry majority. Quote, we have the greatest base in the history of politics, he said at a recent rally in Florida. <laughs> now, what's interesting here is, like, you would expect the New York Times to, I don't know, maybe look at, like, some of the, the voter databases as to whether or not, like, Republicans should be bullish on this and maybe, like, talk about population statistics. Instead, they just sort of ignore that and just allow the Republicans to say, we've got a lot of power here, making them look more powerful. Moving on, quote, in Arizona, the most prominent pro-Trump anti-immigrant groups are the Arizona Patriots and the Patriot Movement Arizona, which have held tight to the themes of white nationalism that some Republicans have denounced. In September, after repeated clashes, some members of the groups agreed to a court order to stop harass to stop harassing migrants and church volunteers who helped them. And this was a big case in Arizona. The leaders of these groups are still active. One of them has been facing even more felony charges after the fact because there was a bit of a splinter in the group and they ended up suing each other. I don't want to go into that drama too much, but basically there was still a very radical right-wing fringe that believes that they must violently resist anyone who's trying to help undocumented people or anyone who's trying to help build like a welcoming society. Quote, earlier this year, the groups and their allies organized a patriotism over socialism event in Gilbert, Arizona, what? near Phoenix, that included speeches from Representative Andy Biggs. Again, we're seeing mainstream political organizing in fringe spaces. Uh, quote, the, the area's congressman and Kelly Ward, the state's Republican Party chair, who I've tussled with Kelly on Twitter, and she's not, <laughs> she's uh, not, she's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. <laughs> Uh, quote, they appeared alongside more fringe figures. Sharon Slater of Family Watch International, which has promoted figures associated with anti-LGBT conversion therapy, and Laura Loomer, the right-wing... Hey, Laura Loomer! <laughs> yeah, the right-wing <laughs> activist, an Arizona native who was banned by Twitter and some other platforms after making anti-Muslim comments. You know what? I didn't realize Laura's from Arizona. 
I, I, I honestly, until I read that, I did not know Didn't that. Did she also get deported from uh, the UK or or uh, I think she Australia. was not allowed. She was not allowed to to enter. They just denied her a visa. Well, no, but it was like she landed. Yeah, to try well, to because get in, yeah, they didn't give her the, the entry like, visa. Nope, yeah, get out. They, they didn't give her the entry visa. Which, I guess technically you know, she didn't get in then because she yeah. was stuck in the airport. Exactly, it's still an international zone. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't realize that Laura was from Arizona. It makes a lot of sense. She's it also makes a lot of sense that like person. Twitter has become the battleground for a lot of these folks because it's a very low bar to entry. No bar to entry. Quote, Basically. this blend of insider and outsider of mainstream and conspiracy is a feature of how Mr. Trump has reshaped the Republican Party in his image and the core of his presidential origin story. Before Mr. Trump announced any firm plans to seek office, he was the national face of the birther conspiracy, which thrived in the Tea Party movement and had a significant amount of support from the Republican base. So this is, you know, again, this sort of analysis isn't really delving into like, what was going on to drive the birtherism conspiracy, why it was that it was so accepted in the Republican base, why it got so much traction, why the Republicans have been trending this way for a while, and sort of yeah. points to Trump as like this eruption within the Republican Party without analyzing like where that eruption came from. He just sort of exploded onto the scene. He wasn't gestating there for the last couple of decades. Which it's that's actually one of the things that I've uh, I have liked in the rhetoric coming out of the mainstream Democrats in this country of being like he is not an aberration. He is a symptom. He's not like the 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 cause of the problem in the Republican Party. He's a symptom of the of the of the rot, the fundamental rot within the GOP, and that is a a good that is a good and correct analysis of what is going on. Um, but it it still bears more. It deserves more attention. It deserves more focus, especially by reporters who are supposed to be providing, you know, more. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, democracy dies in the dark, right? We need more reporting to cover this shit and understand where, how, how it happened. Let, let's uh, keep moving on because we sort of see that more explicitly uh, on display in these next few okay. paragraphs. So okay. quote, Stacey Goodman, a former police officer from New York who retired to Arizona and attended Trump's talk, said her distrust of Mr. Obama's birth certificate has led her to Mr. Trump. Uh, Quote, if what? you're a Muslim, just tell us you're a Muslim, what? she said of Mr. Obama. It's not that I didn't believe him. I'm just not qualified to answer that question. I've seen information on both sides that's compelling, went, which like, I, I like this idea that like, <laughs> if, in order to be a Muslim, you just have to say I'm a Muslim once. But in order to be a Christian, you can't say it repeatedly for your entire life on every single platform. And this weird idea also like, where she she got information from both sides, why it was that conspiracies like birtherism were given any play in the national media, were were treated as though they were actual news sources. When Sheriff Joe Arpaio like went to Hawaii to see if he could get his hands on Mr. Obama's birth certificate, it was treated by the national media as an actual story on something that like was supposed to have airtime and just fed this conspiracy fringe where, oh, it can't be that crazy if the New York Times is reporting on it. Yep. For, uh, moving on, quote, Mona Fishman, a singer from, La from the Las Vegas area who performed at the event, has written Trump-themed songs with titles like Fake News and Smells Like Soros, which accuses li liberal megadonor George Soros of running a shadow government, uh, a trope widely condemned as anti-Semitic. In the White House, <laughs> yep, In the White House, Mr. Trump has relied on similar unfounded conspiracy theories and promoted people who have perpetuated them. He pardoned Joseph M. Arpaio, which nobody calls him Joseph M. Arpaio, it's Sheriff Joe, uh, the former sheriff of Maricopa County, a hero of America's right wing and a leader of the birther movement who was convicted yep. of criminal content who was convicted of criminal contempt related to his aggressive efforts to detain undocumented migrants. He should have been uh, like the with the way that he ran those jails 
Uh, yeah, that he, man, ran, he ran literal concentration. Yeah, he, he should have been sent to The Hague. Like, I, I'm sorry. There's, there, is no, there is no space in civilized society for a shithead like Joe Arpaio. Sorry, I was trying to be eloquent and it fell apart because he's just, it's, there's a visceral uh, response within me to what I've seen from his bullshit. And for them to just kind of normalize it and be like, oh, yeah, by the way, he didn't he didn't, you know, not mentioning the fact that he was running literal concentration camps yep. and doing as much dehumanizing. Oh, yeah, we had uh, we had chain gangs in Arizona. You, you we, did, we no and, longer have them. We our new sheriff did away with them. So uh, moving on on Mr. Trump's Twitter account, likely the most watched in the world. He has promoted white nationalists, anti-Muslim bigots and believers in the QAnon conspiracy theory, which claims that top Democrats are worshiping the devil and engaging in child sex trafficking. Even mainstream <laughs> conservative media figures have embraced QAnon as a way to dismiss Mr. Trump's political enemies. Uh-huh. The Fox News host Jesse Waters during a recent segment dedicated <laughs> The conspiracy linked it to Mr. Trump's Washington enemies. It isn't about the Trump fight. Oh, quote, isn't it also about the Trump fight with the deep state in terms of the illegal surveillance of the campaign? The inside hit jobs that he sustained, he asked. Just come on. The embrace of conspiracy theories has frustrated some establishment Republicans and moderate Republican voters who urge Mr. Trump to embrace a more traditional communication style. His base disagrees. Please never stop tweeting Miss Fishman sings in one of her songs titled Thank You, President Trump. I can't hardly wait to see what I'll be reading. So now we get to the kind of scary part where we actually talk about how these political views are linked to direct calls to violence. And this idea that like the right wing fringe losing at the polls justifies their violence and sort of like puts this off not just as a very scary and very violent call to action for a lot of people, but it's something that's just sort of like a reaction that's kind of reasonable, like it's very weird. So let, let's keep going uh, here. So quote, yeah. events like Trump stock are not limited to Arizona. Organizer Lori Bezik recruited speakers from around the country through social media, tapping into a network of pro-Trump voices only a click away. Long shot congressional Facebook. candidates touting an America first agenda come from places like Iowa and Maryland. Leaders of fledgling political groups with names like Jexit, Jews <laughs> exit the Democratic <laughs> parties, uh, Latinos for Trump and deplorable pride, which Latinos for Trump, based in California, the guy who runs that has been arrested several times in Southern California, and and Deplorable Pride, a right-wing LGBT organization, told the overwhelmingly white audience that they were not anti-Semitic, anti-immigrant, homophobic, or racist. In fact, the speakers (laughs) insisted people who used those terms were more guilty of bigotry than the people they accused, which is a pretty common one. I'm not the racist. You're the racist for saying that I'm racist. That's insane. That's, to, I, that's just insane. To applause, the co-founder of Latinos for Trump, Marco Gutierrez, read the pledge he took when he became a naturalized citizen and renounced his Mexican homeland. Nightmare, a pro-Trump rapper who refused to give his legal name, invoked QAnon and called Mr. Obama a racist slur in his set. You gotta, wait, wait. How is Nightmare spelled? Uh, oh, uh, <laughs> N-I-T-E-M-A-R-E. So, you know. <laughs> I mean, but whatever. Like, rap names are never spelled correctly. Yeah, I know. You know. That one's kind of fun. <laughs> Uh, Now, this is the part where it gets a little bit, where it gets like kind of scary. And we actually talk about what the uh, future would look like as far as like violence and a possible actual civil war, which is what some of these speakers are calling for. And again, getting quoted in the New York Times talking about the civil war they really want to have happen. So what's the caption under that picture? So there's another picture of uh, a guy standing next to an American flag. And it says, 
Mark Alta said he has been stockpiling firearms in case the 2020 election does not go in the president's favor. Dun, 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 yep. dun. Quote, Brian Talbert, the founder of Deplorable Pride, Shit. was contacted by the White House after he was barred from the LGBT Pride Parade in Charlotte, North Carolina. At Trump stock, Mr. Huh? Talbert, who has a history of expressing anti-Muslim beliefs on social media, oh, gave voice to hatred of Mr. Obama and Hillary Clinton, the former Secretary of State, and Mr. Trump's 2016 opponent. In case you didn't Quote, know I think was. she should be hanging at the end of a rope for treason. Hey, that's Quote, sane. Quote, members of groups like these at once make up a critical portion of Arizona's conservative base and espouse derogatory rhetoric that must re repeatedly be repudiated creating political difficulties for the state's Republican lawmakers. Again, remember, like, this isn't a problem for all of us. This isn't no. a problem for discourse in America. This is a, a problem for Republicans in their internal organizing. And that's the scary part of this article, is it's not saying, like, we have a violent fringe of people here who want to start a civil war and are actively preparing for it. It's like, this is a really hard messaging problem for the GOP. Uh, Boy, I hope uh, to figure that out. Because for people who are reading this in Manhattan, they're not under threat from these people. If you are a Spanish speaker in Mojave County, you are under threat from these people they don't actually explore what that threat means it's more of a kind of far off oh isn't that weird isn't that quirky now go do the crossword puzzle type of reading of this <laughs> Continuing that paragraph, after a photograph emerged last April of members of the Patriot Mer Movement Arizona posing with Governor Doug Ducey, he said he had never heard of the group. I absolutely denounced their behavior, he said. What? Yeah. You were there with them, you shitbag. Yep. And uh, the other thing is that there's always this cover for, well, I didn't know who they were before I took a photo with them. Uh, and like, I don't, it, like, that could very well be true because Doug Ducey doesn't care where he's getting the press. He just wants to get the <laughs> press fair. because ultimately Doug Ducey is beholden to the capital interests of Arizona. He doesn't care how capital maintains power. If it takes a violent right-wing fringe to make sure that the extractive industries in Arizona yeah. continue to make a buck to fund his political ambitions, then he's all for it. He honestly does not care. His job as the GOP governor of the state of Arizona is to make sure that the rich get richer. And in order for that to happen, there needs to be a lumpen public there needs to be a lumpen proletariat of violent right-wing radicals that keep other people in fear and keep them away from the ballot box. <sighs> Continuing on. Quote, Trump stock attendees say they are used to being denounced, another quality they feel they share with the president. Huh. It's part of why they are protective of him, to the point that they refuse to acknowledge the possibility of a Trump loss in 2020. Mark Alta said he has been stockpiling firearms in case Mr. Trump's re-election is not successful. Quote, nothing less than a civil war would happen, said Mr. Alta, his right hand reaching for a holstered handgun. I don't believe in violence, but I'll do what I gotta do. And this is the part where things get weird, is you would think that like Just. a reporter would push back on that and say, if you don't believe in violence, then why are you stockpiling weapons? Like, you can't actually have that be a sensical phrase and just leaving that to end the article yeah, and be like, oh, this is what this guy's saying without any sort of commentary article. or pushback or direct response from the reporter or the editorial voice of the newspaper makes it seem like, oh, well, maybe that guy really doesn't believe in violence. Maybe he is just a patriot doing what he believes He's he needs to do. He's literally putting his hand on his gun while he says that. What? Yeah, no words. And it's this is what's really scary about these pieces and the New York Times and the Washington Post to treat these sort of fringe elements as just sort of a, a morbid curiosity, a fascination, some sort of a thing to be like kind of looked at and like seen in a glass case and then moved on rather than seeing them as the actual dangerous elements that they are. Remember, Arizona used to be a part of Mexico. So when you have a whole bunch of like 
white people who, most of whom didn't move into the state until after the 1970s when air conditioning was invented because you can't live yeah. in Phoenix without <laughs> air conditioning. Like it's really hard and it's, nobody wants yeah. to live there when it's 110 degrees saying we're, we feel like we're losing our culture. It's like, well, what fucking culture are you talking about? Like Arizona was home to dozens of indigenous tribes. We don't talk about their cultures being erased. We yeah. don't talk about the fact that we have the largest reservations in the entire country situated in Arizona. We don't talk about the fact that like a large percentage of our population speaks Spanish because, well, we were Mexico and a lot of those people just ended up on the wrong side of the border when we were deciding where states and territories were. We don't talk about where Arizona actually came from. We don't talk about where the missions came from that actually built the population in places like Tucson. We don't talk about where the railways and the teachers' universities were when we first built the state. There's this idea that culture in Arizona didn't begin until the development of the city of Phoenix in the late 70s and the early 80s when we really blew up. And now Phoenix is sort of seen as this like whitish suburb city where you've got a lot of white people who own big houses, their gigantic energy sucks in the desert, and they're the ones who get to decide what it is that constitutes Arizona culture. And their culture, having been someone who grew up there and someone who is currently living there, constitutes things like massive bars owned by Dirks Bentley, uh, knockoff Las Vegas kind of stuff because we're always competing with them for convention attendees. The culture that they're protecting doesn't make a lot of effing sense. It's just a bunch of white people with guns who are super, super afraid that they're going to lose what they see as their main source of identity. And by focusing on them and not focusing on the people who actually live there who are not white and reactionary, by not talking to the non-voters who constitute a larger selection of that population, we're doing a disservice to everyone. We're making it seem like these right-wing radicals are the actual mainstream and the actual people with power. And instead of giving power to people who should be empowered and should be franchised, we're giving more power to people who already have an outsized say in our political sphere. And this is really dangerous by the New York Times. This is how you get somebody like Richard Spencer showing up on CNN and acting like, oh, he's just another voice in the discourse, not someone to be deplatformed and rejected out of hand. When you have the New York Times talking to someone who's saying, yeah, we're getting ready to fight another civil war, and they just like leave it at that, it gives the sense Jesus. that this civil war is A, something that's not real, B, something that's acceptable to believe in, and C, something that doesn't deserve pushback from the paper of record of the nation. So I think, you know, what we have going on here is not just a matter of the reporter not wanting to give pushback, but more that the editorial voice of the New York Times is opposed to giving that kind of pushback. Because just like Governor Doug Ducey, the New York Times is beholden to the production and the supremacy of capital. And as long as you're beholden to the idea that capitalism and the people with the money and the billionaires deserve to be in charge, you're willing to allow whatever violent fringe to rise to allow that to keep happening. When you see scare pieces on like the John Brown Gum Club or the Socialist Rifle Association, <laughs> but you don't see those same scare pieces when it comes to a guy who who is literally tacitly threatening a reporter by tapping his handgun while talking about a civil war, yeah. you know why it is that the Democratic Socialists of America are still seen as a fringe element, but these folks are seen as a legitimate part of the Republican Party that the Republican Party will just have to learn to grapple with. It's insane. Thank you all very much for joining us for our first reading series. We're excited to do this more. Like I said, we're not going to be doing this weekly because this is kind of a high bandwidth activity. We don't have all the time in the world, yeah. but we do in this like once every other week. If you have pieces that you think we should read, cultural artifacts that you think that we should look at, uh, questions, commentary, like just telling us, you know, we're wrong and stupid, please, again, email us at podcast at groundgamela.org. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Bushido Squirrel at Christopher Roth or at Ground Game LA you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook again hope y'all are having a great 2020 we're really looking forward to this peace